1: writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. Today, I'm going to talk to someone for our podcast that I've been meaning to have on the podcast for some time now. Millie Gonzalez, the director of Help of Door County. It's an appropriate time to have her on for many reasons because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And though we should probably be talking about this topic throughout the year, it's it's never a bad time to discuss this, especially appropriate right now. And nationwide one in four women and one in seven men will experience domestic violence, but the impact of it spreads so much further in the community. And it was really great to do this episode and have this conversation with Millie to talk about the ways that the ripple effects of domestic violence and how it goes so much farther than just the person who is considered the victim. There's so much more to it than that. And. Millie has just been a, a great advocate for domestic violence survivors and victims for, for many years now. She's been the director of help door County since 2019 in 2018. She was honored with the Ann Koch social justice award and has been named one of Wisconsin's 35 most powerful and influential Latinos among many other honors. And, uh, I had a chance to spend a couple of hours with her a few weeks ago down at the offices of Help of Door County and see some of the things they do and and some of the care and thought that is put into everything that they do there. So I think this is a really great conversation. I hope you listen to it. We talked for a long time. We could have talked for much longer, but I think it's a really important topic for folks in Door County to be acquainted with and, and just kind of an issue that know is simmering beneath the beauty and be beneath the incredible landscape and so many things that are so great about Door County. There are other people suffering in many ways. And so I hope you take time to listen to this podcast and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Could you explain to us for somebody who doesn't know what help of Door County is, tell us kind of the, the high level, what do you guys do? What is your organization all about?
2: So the mission of Help of Door County is to eliminate domestic violence through crisis intervention, prevention, and also to advocate for social change. Mm. So we work with victims in all different kind of realms, but okay. it's the preventative work, like working with youth, and then also teaching about what healthy relationships look like. And crisis intervention would be you know, our safe homes and those immediate emergency needs that we have. And then advocating for social change is getting to the root of the issues of what allows domestic violence to thrive in homes. And oftentimes I talk about the imbalance of of a power and control structure within the home mm-hmm. plus fear. So anytime you have an imbalance of power and control plus fear would equal domestic violence. So that could be through status, immigration status, it could be your race, it could be your age. It could just be manipulation happening within that like sure. with physical violence and in these different ways.
1: Probably employment status.
2: Absolutely. Immigration status. So if you think about it like If you were a victim of domestic violence and you don't have documentation, maybe you Mm -hmm. outstage your J-1 visa or something of that nature, and now you're in an abusive relationship with your partner, having that held over your head, well, if you don't do this or you don't comply, I will call immigration on you. Wow. That's like a whole
1: level of fear added to this scenario. I've covered some immigration issues in my time here at The Pulse, but- as you phrase it like that, I'm thinking of, okay, we have in the summertime, 500 J-1 visa workers in Door County. We Mm -hmm. have probably well over a thousand, probably into the thousands, potential undocumented residents in the Mm -hmm. county who have a certain level of of fear of deportation at any time. So then you add any sort of relationship power imbalance like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's just a whole other level of fear and uncertainty.
2: Mm -hmm. In the past, I've had a client that called law enforcement and law enforcement was asking her perpetrator to translate for her. Right. So (laughs) how does that work? Right. And then you also think there was another client that I had served who had a son that was a citizen, but was afraid to take them out to the park because her partner had put in her mind that if you don't have my permission to leave the house, you can get arrested for kidnapping. I can take the baby away. I can do all of these things. And if you don't know the language or you don't know what culture is like here, or what your rights are, you get stuck in these positions. And wow. it's not only affecting that, but just bringing light of those differences of imbalance and control. So, like, let's talk about elder abuse. Even if you're not in an intimate partner relationship with an elder, but if I have a caretaker that's taking care of me, who is providing my medication, who's taking me possibly to social engagements or church, who is not only my physical caretaker, but also my connection to everything out in the world. Sure. How can that manifest? And a lot of that could be financially abusive or financially motivated. So,
1: How often do you run into that in Door County? Oh,
2: often. So often. And you have to think about the elder population we have here in Door County, right? I mean, we've just done recently a restraining order for someone... In their 90s. Wow. Yeah.
1: And is that in that case, are you talking like a restraining order with a spouse or with a caretaker? We do both. Yeah.
2: It's quite often, and it's sad because when you have the picture of who we are as a community, Door County has so many amazing things about it. Mm-hmm. And when we think about our community and the beauty that we're surrounded, I think sometimes we forget that there are people that are unseen here and then are very isolated. And that's one part of our community that I think can oftentimes go isolated. Another thing is what if that caretaker were your grandson or your son or your family member? You don't want them to go to prison. Or there's all sorts of angst that goes within pursuing that legally or, you know, like to file criminal charges or even a restraining order. Oftentimes the majority of our clients don't seek out justice within the criminal legal system. They want to do things different.
1: Yeah. You, you think about people in a situation like this and from the outside in, it's very easy to say, well, just leave that relationship or just report them or call the police. But you think of what that triggers for that entire, for your entire life beyond Mm -hmm. just that relationship of putting different pressures on you, putting the deportation pressure in one case, or, you know, really breaking up your family, maybe Mm -hmm. in another case or starting This legal process going that that can just kind of dominate your life for a while. So there are tons of reasons that somebody might not be able to take what to the outside seems like the very obvious step.
2: Yeah. So let's take a step backwards. Oftentimes I'm asked why, if that person is being harmed or abused, why don't they leave? And my gut reaction is always, why do we always put the onus on someone that's being victimized or oppressed? We never say, Hmm. Why is this person behaving this way? Why does this person think it's okay to use power and control or physical violence, sexual violence, financial violence, all of these different things? Why is that appropriate, right? And I think it's the way that we've been conditioned in our world and and the way that we perceive things. And it's kind of like flipping that narrative. But let's, let's entertain that question for a second. Sure. Why wouldn't someone leave? Let's take, for example, we have a family in Sturgeon Bay is affordable housing accessible here in Sturgeon Bay? Mm -hmm. I know that I'm consistently struggling with finding permanent housing here where they have been part of this community for generations and now they can no longer find somewhere to rent if they were to leave their partner. Let's say by a chance they find some housing. Maybe they're going to stay with a friend's house until they get on their feet or whatever. We think about daycare options. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so important, you know, we're a program of the United Way, but even that childcare initiative, supporting these things because they're so intertwined with the work that I'm doing here at Help of Door County. So if I can't find daycare, I can't find housing. We know that, especially in this area, you can't get away with not having a vehicle. Yeah. Right? So you don't have public transportation. I don't have affordable housing. I don't have access to daycare. And then now I have to navigate this world of finding work and then being able to provide housing and stability for my family as a single parent while I'm dealing with the traumatization and also the if I do engage in the criminal justice system or family court system and and all of these other added barriers that come along with that it's very very difficult and even in the best of scenarios so even if someone were able to have daycare transportation affordable housing I'm still a single parent that is putting this piece together and my family is hurt because I've been traumatized, right? Yeah. And that healing process takes a long time. So even if we could, <laughs> right, it's yeah. just like sometimes it feels like an uphill battle. And I'm going to throw a statistic at you. It's over 99.7% of all victims of domestic violence have been financially exploited or, or there's a form of financial abuse there. So I can't imagine, like, if we're, we're talking about, that abuse added on to financial abuse? And how can I get that? So that's what my agency does is connect with clients and start safety planning and start planning for these moves, whatever that may be for them, right? Because we're never gonna tell somebody to not leave or to leave because we believe in autonomy and empowerment. But at the same time, we're gonna go over, if you go down this road, these are the options available for you and these might be some barriers. And that's what we do with each individual client. Yeah, here's
1: some help that you might be able to get. So maybe talk about that. How do you, what does Help of Door County do, you know, with all these things that somebody might be facing? And imagine a lot of what you're trying to do. You can't eliminate all those factors, but I would guess you try to simplify the decision and bring it back to the safety of that individual and be like, here are options to solve some of these problems so you can focus on the more pertinent thing, which is your health and safety.
2: Mm -hmm. And also even discrimination in housing too. So a lot of times I'll have landlords that will try and evict a client because their partner was abusive to them. And then having to advocate for them doing some sort of legal advocacy and saying, this is illegal, right? And Mm -hmm. then showing them this is the state statute, but if you want to proceed, you know, we'll have to proceed other options. But help is unique in a way that Unlike many other agencies around the state, we take a very holistic approach to ending domestic violence, like in our mission statement that I had said earlier. So prevention for us looks like safety planning. It looks like all of the really cool youth initiatives that we have with Sparks, Flame, and Fire. I know that the fire kiddos are a little bit more recognized around the state for their statewide activism and advocacy. Mm. Um, we actually had some fire kiddos at the governor's council meeting just last week performing a piece of... For the council and to recognize all of the lives that were lost in the state of Wisconsin.
1: Explain what FIRE is.
2: So FIRE stands for Forging Youth Relationship Education. It's a group of high school age kiddos. And it is. So unique. So it's kind of like pseudo support group, but not everybody there would identify as a victim of domestic violence, harassment, or bullying, or a victim of violence. But it's also a leadership group. So we're also developing leadership skills, and it's co-facilitated by our youth. So basically, we we just met recently with Kathy Greer from Open Door Pride. She actually sponsored our fired up event, had Hmm. a fire. And then we have our kiddos come and then it's like, what topics do you want to learn about? And if it ties in with the systemic roots of oppression that lead to domestic violence, it's, it's fair game. So we talk about what is power and control or what does abuse look like? What is healthy communication? What are boundaries? We talk about racism. We talk about ageism, ableism, adultism, all of these isms, right? So anytime (laughs) you have an imbalance of power and control, that's what we're teaching. But the coolest thing is, is that we have a fire council. So we have a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior that take a leadership role. They meet earlier than the regular fire kids. And it's basically, they research this topic And then they teach that topic, and our co-facilitators are there just to make sure that that's done correctly Mm. and that we're not giving misinformation. But for the most part, it's the kiddos that are leading this group and teaching their peers. And I think that that is very significant because movements cannot be movements if you don't have those that are impacted by the movement leading that movement. Mm
0: -hmm. I know that's a
2: big mouthful, right? (laughs) But the thing is, like, who better to reach out to youth than youth? Because they know what they're thinking and they know what they're feeling. They know what they want to learn. And that's what they're doing is they're teaching and learning at the same time. And that's just been phenomenal. A few years back at the annual teen summit that end domestic abuse throws, so it's the Wisconsin State Coalitions get together and they have a teen summit a while back ago, definitely pre COVID. We we consider ourselves a movement family, so we have a lot of youth that go along. And and at that year, we had taken over 15 Door County youth. But then, you know, my kiddos go. Dr. Bettina Love was the keynote speaker at that point, and she was asking all of the youth, "What did you learn from from this experience?" And our fire youth had actually facilitated a roundtable discussion and did a workshop on what healthy relationships look like. What does teen dating violence mm. look like? What is healthy masculinity? You know, all yeah. of these different really cool topics. And everybody was really quiet, except for one of the youngest ones there, who happens to be my daughter, <laughs> 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 bragging on her a little. But she was, at that time, I want to say she was eight years old. She jumps up on top of the, the conference table and she's like, ooh, 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 Dr. Bettina Love, like pick me, pick me. And obviously she's going to go to her because everybody else is tired and quiet. And she goes up to her and she says, what did you learn? And she said, I learned that adults don't like taking youth seriously. I like to tell youth what to do, what to think, but not how to think by themselves, right? Mm. So we're teaching memorization, but we're not teaching like the skill set to actually think. And I was like, whoa, this is really deep coming from someone (laughs) so young, right? And I think Dr. Bettina Love got that that same look on her face as we exchanged those glances. And then she turns over to the youth, the fire youth. Like I said, we had like 15 kids there. And she said, and you want to know what I learned about the youth? And she said, you guys don't listen to us either because we're <laughs> younger. You don't take us serious. You don't think that we're listening. And we're seeing what's happening to you, and you're doing that to us. And and a bigger scale, like when you think about that, isn't that so true? Yeah. You know, and, and we pass on things that are learned and understanding that it's so important to disrupt that cycle. Right. So she turned to the fire youth, and she said, you know, you can't have a fire without a spark. And that's what I consider myself. And one day we're going to have a group called the Sparks. <laughs> and I was so proud that this summer we were able to unroll those programs. Now, she's not seven or eight anymore. She's 11. <laughs> so she can't even be in Sparks because she's aged out kind of, of the yeah. spark program. So we created Flame. So it's basically the same role that we're doing with the fire youth we're doing with, with those different ages. So from seven to 10, you're a Sparks member and you pick your topics. You pick what normative behavior, so we don't want to say rules, but a norm would be respect yourself, respect you know the beauty in others or, or respect the world. All of these things that have to do with leadership and teaching how to become a leader and how to harness your voice and understand that we have responsibilities here within our community and those are important. And that that's what that's like the civility project works a lot within yeah. that, right? Right. So it's just harnessing all of these different things and then letting the youth empower themselves and also empower each other by teaching those things. So even Sparks and Flame, we had a really cool partnership with YMCA with their free lunch program, and basically our youth would go there and read a book about kindness and then have conversation with the kiddos there about what does it mean to be kind? Hmm. Can you be kind? Like can next time when we see you, can you tell us a couple of the things you did that was kinder? When has someone been unkind to you, and how did that feel? And how can we change that? in the
1: world. When you're talking about fire, one of the things that popped into my head was that, you know, teaching people what a relationship is, what a healthy relationship is, is something that, you know, we don't really teach how to be a spouse, how to be mm-hmm. a husband, how to be a wife. You all just you kind of look at your parents probably or maybe you have some model that you look toward and you you kind of do what you've seen. Mhm. And even if that's wrong, like we don't ask and we're not like a society that trains you to ask questions like, hey, what should I have in mind if uh, my wife is going through this or if my husband is going through this? You're just winging it. And yeah. it's so incredible that that's the way we approach probably the most important relationship we're going to have in our lives. Same thing with parenting for, mm-hmm. to, for most of us. We all just kind of wing it and, <laughs> and then... And we're kind of afraid to talk about it because you don't want to say, well, what I'm doing is right. Or you don't want to admit that you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. So you don't ask the right questions. So it's great to teach these kids to ask the questions, to Mm -hmm. look for different modeling and maybe instruct them on some things. And if only a little bit of it sticks, it'll go a long way. I mean, I've always thought of myself as incredibly fortunate because I have this sort of like built-in family council by virtue of having four sisters. (laughs) So I, and three that were significantly older than me. So I could see the things they were going through and talk to them about the things they were going through and bring that into my own relationships in life. And it's still hard. You're still winging it to a large degree. So, and I think you
2: hit on something that's so important. We don't teach emotional intelligence, right? And I think, what does it take to be a good leader? What does it take to be a good citizen? What does it take to be a good partner, a good parent, a good child, a good anything within your relationships. It's that important emotional intelligence. And that is kind of like the foundation of what relationships are. And everything in our world is built around relationships. So it's, I don't know. I just don't know why we don't get it. And it comes so natural within that group. But again, it has to be taught. And I think about, and I definitely have my partner's permission to share this, But I think about when I first got into movement work and coming home with that power and control wheel and that equality equity wheel (laughs) and then being like,
0: whoa,
2: all of our friends think like we have the healthiest relationship. And my parents and everybody's like, oh, you guys got it together. And within those first five years of my marriage, I was looking at this power and control wheel and I was thinking there are so many imbalances here and we are very toxic to each other. Hmm. But it was normal. Right. And then when I learned something else, it was like, this is not normal behavior. This is unhealthy. And coming home with my partner, Rudy, and then saying, like, you do this. I do this. We do this. And I think when we look back to that, when when we teach, I tell them it's only through grace that we weren't violent with each other. And it was because we did not have this power struggle within each other. I think we're like two stubborn bulls hating each <laughs> other at the same time. And we definitely weren't afraid of each other. But it doesn't mean that we had this picture-perfect marriage or that things weren't difficult or how do we communicate? How do we do these things? And it was only through that education that I got doing through movement work and really researching and developing that, that I could say why we have that amazing, healthy relationship we do now. And people are like, You know, relationship goals and all these things. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary. But if you follow us through that, that growth process was extremely difficult because it was very patriarchal. It was very, like, even within our parenting, like, children are to be seen and not heard. (laughs) And you do this because I said so. And all of (laughs) these things. And it's really difficult to have these conversations with youth and your children and actually valuing them and then living it. Right? Yeah. I think so that's you're, the you're, and you're part teaching it and advocating and for it. And then
1: you got to bring it back into your, oh, yes. I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I do this all the time. Even, and having a kid, it was such a, and now I have two, such an eye opener. And it is daily such an eye opener because you realize the things that just sort of uh, instinctively isn't the word, but like kind of by default start to pass on to the, to the mom and like the responsibilities. And certain things pass on to the dad, but mostly to the mom. And some days uh, I take it for granted and you just start living that way. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I need to check in on this. And, like, and mm-hmm. I have to consciously work at it to break out of some of those societal norms because so much of the burden falls on my wife without, mm-hmm. without the work on my part. And that's something I constantly have to think about. Or mm-hmm. even when you're going through the pregnancy, and I wasn't great at this, but like, it's not just on the mom To read the book about pregnancy, to Mm -hmm. read the book about breastfeeding, to read the book about what your child and their development stages are going through.
2: How am I supporting my child? How am I supporting my wife? How am I supporting my family? And how am I creating that foundation within the home? And a lot of times, like, the reason why we go to these defaults is because this is the way we have been programmed. This is, like, I always say whatever happens in the home. It's what we see our friends
1: doing. It's what we see our own mothers and fathers doing. Yeah,
2: so I say whatever happens in the home... Like the root, you think about that. Like we're taught how to be humans in the home, right? Through our upbringing and everything that we're learning. So whatever happens in the home is going to be reflected in culture and society. But then whatever happens in culture and society, if you're not taught that in the home, is going to reflect in the home. And right now we're in this vicious cycle where certain things are just, you know, it is because it is. And it's questioning that and being like, but is it the best way? Is it the healthiest way? Mm. And if we look out into the world right now, are we being healthy? Are we being respectful? Are we being honest and trustworthy? Are we holding ourselves accountable to the things that we do? Anecdotally, I'll say,
1: looking at our letters page in the Pulse, I would say the answer is no. Yeah, (laughs) right. um, I want to bring this back a little bit to your organization Mm -hmm. and the things you do, because I want to give you a little opportunity to talk more about that specifically. How many people do you serve? at help of Door County?
2: So I just, this is grant season. It's the craziest season in <laughs> this time in our season. But a lot of my reports, it was 369 unduplicated clients. I'm going to say that again, 369 unduplicated clients. So this is what that means. It means last year, those clients that came that were unduplicated was that number. So if you think about that, that's more than one person a day, right? But we don't only see clients one time. So sometimes like I I just spoke to a client that I've been working with since I first became an advocate in 2016 in this journey and the, and the divorce is just being finalized or was just finalized. And you have to look at these things. So a lot of times, like those unduplicated numbers, we're still carrying them forward and understanding that there is a really great need within our community. And because we are Door County and we focus on the beauty around us and the nature and we see all of these amazing things, we forget about this real hidden hurt or community that we have here. And I think that when we don't see it in our face, we forget that it exists. So it's like, oh, this problem doesn't exist. It's so weird to me, but I I would understand why not to others because I'm immersed in this field, right, where they ask me what I do and I'll tell them I'm from Door County. Oh, I love Door County. (laughs) Boom. You know, like even in, I was in Hawaii and they were like, Wisconsin, Packers, Cheesehead. (laughs) I told them Door County. Oh, I know Door County. But oftentimes we forget about, you know, that, that vulnerable, marginalized, historically excluded community that that has this impact. And I think it's important to know that we do have homelessness. We do have sex trafficking. We do have harassment. We do have violence. We have had domestic violence-related deaths here in this community. But when we don't see it often, we forget about it.
0: This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwannee Counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the women and children's center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Some of Door County's best stargazing happens indoors. Every year at Door Community Auditorium, we present a star-studded lineup of concerts featuring artists like Brandi Carlisle, The Lumineers, Jason Isbell, Mavis Staples, Billy Strings, Beach Boys, and Buddy Guy. You're now listening to Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives returning to our stage in Fish Creek, October 22nd. Visit dcauditorium.org for a full calendar of upcoming events and to get your tickets today. Well, in that number 369
1: individuals who have come to you in the course of a year, that, that extrapolates, right? You know, each one of those is involved with a spouse or a significant other or a caregiver. So now you're at nearly 800 people. So many of those people have children in the home Mm -hmm. that are being impacted by whatever is happening there. So Mm -hmm. now you're getting well over a thousand people and
2: friends and loved ones. And maybe, you know,
1: and and sisters and support friends being pulled into that, that abuse structure. And then of that, that's just extrapolating from the ones who have worked up the courage to come to you. Yeah. Yeah how many are just dealing with this so you start to realize wow there's a there's a good chunk of our society men and women that we're seeing in our gas stations or out while we're shopping or at our school events who while our life might be humming along just fine they're dealing with this kind of simmering mm-hmm. trauma or struggle all the time mm-hmm. so And you can see how much it it permeates throughout the community, even if it's if you're not seeing it.
2: And not even just in this community, like those statistics are nationwide, too. Right. Yeah. And sometimes we think, well, not in this community because of maybe higher socioeconomic status or other things. So you don't think that these things, oh, well, these people are college educated or whatever. And you know what? Domestic violence has no discriminating factors. Doesn't Hmm. matter what social economic class you are, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what size you are, what age you are, where anything, everybody is affected by domestic violence. And I think that's something we have to remember. And sometimes I think even those with more privilege are a little bit more isolated, you know, Hmm. because it's easier to go on without services. If you have that second home you can go to, (laughs) right? I don't have to call, and get legal, you know, assistance or I don't have to go in for maybe finances isn't a big issue. And yeah, some of these other the factors center. aren't
1: piling up on you. You're not getting the overdue credit card bill, the the car payment coming up that you can't afford like that.
2: But there's shame there. To, there's yeah. shame. Like I get called sometimes where it's like, let's network. Let's have a really good conversation. And then I'll meet with somebody and they'll be like, that's not really the reason why we're here. Because there's so much stigma attached to domestic violence. And what is my neighbor gonna think? Hmm. You know, if I call the police and all of a sudden I have policemen at my door, my house, and in community, we have this status or we have these positions that are high within the community, what are are people gonna say and think? And we know how big Door County is and also how small Door (laughs) County is, where we know a lot. You know, we might not meet each other, but we've heard of people. So just think about those added barriers too. I'm not saying that not everybody's impacted, but everybody has their own specific barriers depending on where they're coming from that make it very difficult to reach out for help.
1: Well, a few weeks ago, I came and visited your offices. And one of the things that struck me is all the little steps you try and take to make people feel comfortable. Because Mm -hmm. you think of, by the time somebody's coming to an organization like yours, they've already gone through so much probably they've Mm -hmm. already had to overcome so many hurdles. So by the time they walk in your door, it's probably very important that you have them feel like this is safe. This is comfortable. And you do that through a lot of different ways, whether it be having a pride flag up, Mm-hmm. to show that, hey, if you, you might be in the LGBTQ community, you are welcome here. We're going to, we're not mm-hmm. pushing you away. You're mm-hmm. not, you're not thought of as other, you know, mm-hmm. representing different races and, and communities in your offices. Maybe talk a little bit more about that, of the thought that goes into that and how that helps somebody when they come in your doors.
2: Mm-hmm. Even though like Helpador County would be seen as a mainstream agency. So a mainstream agency would be someone that doesn't serve a culturally specific community, Right. We really do our best to highlight those culturally specific communities. So those that have been marginalized and historically excluded for a while. So we take the last survivor approach. And what that means is I try and think of the most marginalized person here in our community. So if we had, maybe we had someone that was here working, right? So documentation might be a status and they're Haitian, so they identify as Latinx, but they don't speak Spanish. Let's say that they also have a disability and they're in a wheelchair or they're deaf. Come through my office, how will we be able to provide services? And I Hmm. want to be able to provide services to that last survivor because when we focus on who isn't getting services, everybody else is going to be taken care of, right? Hmm. And I think that's the model that we take. So I want to make sure that when people come into our office, they see the pride flag. They see themselves represented, whether they identify as female, male, non-gender conforming, trans, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't matter what language you speak. And we take a really good effort within our agency to diversify and make sure that different people look different within our agency, too, so you could see yourself in community and with the services that you get. But it's also making sure that our building is accessible, that our bathrooms aren't gendered, that we have a place where if someone um, with a disability or was in a wheelchair would have accessibility to get inside of the building. We have spaces that are specific for youth so that they feel comfortable too, being in different Mm -hmm. spaces. So I'm glad that you noticed that because that's like a sense of pride for, for us here because that's what we've been trying to do and be very intentional with. And we also try and provide a really calm sense. So sometimes people will go in and they'll be like, what, you, you wouldn't even know that you have three crisis clients and two children <laughs> and you're doing a safe home. It seems really quiet in the beginning. Yeah. But we do that intentionally because we know that people are that are coming here, there have been trauma And we don't want to overstimulate senses. So it's really like calm. I try and make it feel calm and then also let people feel comfortable enough to say, no, I don't want to meet in this office. I would rather go here. Or can we do that? We don't necessarily have to meet in the office either. Like we work remotely and we meet you where you're at. So sometimes we're at the hospital. Sometimes we are with law enforcement or sometimes we are in a park. Sometimes we are having coffee. So we're all over the place. Well, you think about
1: it, even just pulling up into your parking lot and getting out of your car and walking toward, like there's probably in some people's heads like, oh, who in the community is seeing me going in for help? Mm -hmm. You know, to help, for help, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's so many levels of what someone is overcoming by the time they get to your door so it's really important to get them most at ease. We even talked about when we were there, like, well, maybe we need to lower this counter so that mm-hmm. when kids come in, they're not looking into the wall of a counter. They're mm-hmm. seeing a face. They're seeing a friendly face. someone to help them. Mm-hmm. If a kid's coming with their mom or their father mm-hmm. and, and needs help. So, you know, that's just a thought process. I, I do this now once in a while where uh, I'm playing with my kids and I'm just like, Oh wait, I'm, I'm like, look at that bird. And then I go down to the, the, my, my son's height and I go, he can't see out the window from here. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And you kind of forget the world of a, that a kid is in. So or how am I feel like to
2: have an adult like tower over? Right. Right. So I think that's why it's so important, like getting on their level and having real good conversation face to face, because what if you were with someone that was way taller than you talking down to you, it would feel like and, that power and when, control. When could that possibly
1: be more important than when your parent is going in for help? Mm-hmm. Like this. Like mm-hmm. to be at ease and to to feel helped and understood and and recognized. It would, it'd be so important in that particular moment. I want to give you an opportunity because we are we've covered a lot of ground already. But I mean this is a topic <laughs> that we could probably talk about for hours. I know you could. I know. <laughs> um, but I want to give an opportunity to talk about a couple of events that are coming up because Help of Door County is a nonprofit. You are not a county agency. No. So. No.
2: I think there's confusion behind that. I think an important thing to know is that we receive no county funding i definitely have been advocating for that for the last year or two and under my leadership i have been asking but you know that's a that's a Rolling a ball up, you a, you're very a tall lot of people st- for that money, right? <laughs> Tall's evil.
1: So your nonprofit, you're, you're, you you, vast majority on the, is donations. Generosity and of people,
2: absolutely donations. I do get state funding, and like I said, we do get funding through U- United Way, and we have some really good partnerships with like Door C- County Community Foundation, and just you know smaller grants that we do. But the bulk of funds that come in that aren't under our DCF grant would be donations. So these fundraisers are really important for us because this is what allows us to do at no charge to our clients. So when we're doing legal advocacy and we're doing service representation in a court hearing and helping our clients prepare for court for domestic violence restraining order, that domestic violence restraining order can essentially save someone's life. And I think that's something that we forget is like a lot of these situations are life and death. We've seen an uptick in strangulation and anytime a strangulation is introduced, it, you have a 750% chance of homicide 750% 750%
1: I'm, greater chance mm-hmm,
2: of homicide and i just think about that like the these services are so important for that reason not just that reason alone but taking that preventative approach and that crisis intervention and then also working with those at harm right that's the only program that we do charge for services because it's court mandated, but it's nominal. <laughs> it's like really small. But anyways, the 28th, we're having a Halloween pot fry. will get you a hot dog, chips, and a bottle of water. Our Door County Sheriff's Department will be handing out Halloween candy after 4.30. And the event will go from 11 to 6 p.m. We have amazing raffle items. Our raffle items, you can definitely look on our Facebook page or our website. And the Peninsula Pulse, we're going to have an ad with the raffle items in the Peninsula Pulse. $10 per ticket or six tickets for $50. And then the really cool fundraiser that I'm getting really right, geeked out. Just
1: about, before you move on, where is that? Where's oh, this bra gonna be? Thank <laughs> you, Miles. Thank
2: you, Hope Church. Hope Church in Sturgeon Bay. Okay. If you're in the Sturgeon Bay area, and let's say your office wants lunch, we will provide free delivery.
0: So oh, you can
2: do a pre-order, but it has to be the Sturgeon Bay area because I cannot be driving everywhere <laughs> around <laughs> town. But if you are in the Sturgeon Bay area, look up for our delivery or call the office. We'll get you a, a delivery form, and then we would deliver. Your meals on time for lunch. That's okay. great. And then on the twenty ninth, we're having our Halloween like Halloween party. Costumes aren't required. You can come dressed up and just have a good time. But the best part of this fundraiser is if I could brag a little, Deb McDonald, the owner of Wink mm-hmm. uh, Swimwear, and then Peggy Rayneck, they did an event for us as the recipients in their fashion show in the summer. And they were able to raise a little over $12,000. And I was letting them know the needs. And they're like, we need to do a fundraiser. Like, can we do a fundraiser for help of Door County? I was like, yeah, run with it. And that's what the Halloween party is about. So we're just really excited about their auction items. They're going to be having Mr. Helsinki um, collaborate with Alexander. So that's a big part. There's going to be some really amazing auction Let's items. Give it a little so more mindful. information on
1: that. So it's at Max Braves. Yes. But then the food is going to be kind of taken from the old Mr. Helsinki's menu, which mm-hmm. is the restaurant that closed, I think, two years ago that was for 20 years located above the Fish Creek Market in downtown Fish Creek. Much loved place, kind of uh, urban feel. One of the first places that had like an urban feel in Indore County. And then so Bruce Alexander from Alexander's Restaurant is going to kind of recreate that menu for you guys They're at They're working Maxwell? together. That's They're amazing. They're working
2: together at Maxwellton Braze. There's going to be DJ and uh, obviously programming, not too long, but to be able to share the work that we're doing, and we're actually going to have a survivor present. So we're really excited about that. And the theme is unmasking domestic violence to show that domestic violence is an issue here in Door County. And yes, it exists in Northern Door County as well. And have a good time. Like, let's have fun, too, because <laughs> yeah. it's not only about, like, domestic violence, but it's also we have the availability through our preventative efforts to teach healthy relationships so that we can break this cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's not all doom and gloom. Like, the hope is through these education and through the support that you're giving while you're having a great time at this Halloween party and having a great meal and, and bidding on these auction items – you are allowing for generational healing Mm. and how powerful is that that you're not only serving like that's one thing i i tell my advocates we're not only serving this one individual right you alluded to like that individual has a partner and has children and has family members that are really close connected to them but what happens with healing is that once you give that education and that healing when we know better we do better Mm -hmm. and then that healing goes on to those children. and just think of the impact you're having generationally where now this healthy relationship is now the legacy of your family. We don't have to be afraid of our partners. We don't have to be afraid of our parents or our children or our caretakers and all these things. And there's this liberation that happens through that. And that's what I'm most excited about is that our community sees that. And for Peggy and Deb to be like, I see a problem in our community. I have the availability to do something about it. And then run with this event that will benefit all of Door County, right? Yeah. And and it has these ripple effects that are much greater than just supporting the programs that we do. It really is connected to a better, healthier Door County and Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, that's pretty powerful to think of it that way. And I, you know, you said it's not just all doom and gloom, and that's one thing I get from visiting with you at in your offices and, and here again today is even though you're dealing with something that is so serious and and heavy and dour (laughs) on a day-to-day basis, you have an attitude that's so energetic and positive. And I don't know how you do that (laughs) in that role. I'm just always just amazed by the people who can do work like what you do and still have this positive outlook. And maybe it is from those stories of the change you're making and the help that you're giving people that kind of carries you through because None of these stories, I'm guessing, are very linear. When somebody comes in your doors, it's not like tomorrow things get better necessarily. And then, you know, it's it's a couple steps forward, a couple steps back, forward, back. And like Mm -hmm. you talked about the one example of somebody who first came to you in 2016 and six years later finally actually officially got out of that relationship. And that's not over yet. You know, now they Mm got to learn to be an individual.
2: And and, now they have to heal. All
1: those things. So these are long journeys for people. And before I let you go, I wanted to talk a little bit about your journey and how you came to help of Door County and kind of the perspective that you bring to your position. So how do you end up in Door County, for one, but also (laughs) in your role here as the director at HELP?
2: You know what? I always say that my work here at HELP or my work within the the gender-based violence field or ending violence, I'm so lucky and blessed to be able to work into a field that I am madly deeply passionately and in love with right Mm -hmm. and I think the reason why it's been so important to me is because when I think back to my own lived experience and my history like my conception was violent so in thinking about these things I see how trauma and how unhealing can put us in so many vulnerable situations but the beauty of healing out of that trauma, it makes you more resilient and it makes you more apparent of the issues that are out in the world. So I would say like my abuses, like power and control that has been used against me. And, you know, when you think about domestic and sexual violence, we we say one in four women, one in seven men, but there's one in three women that also have been, you know, violated like sexually. And we saw that with the huge Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. So just understanding all of these things are interlinked. And I think it's the resiliency coming out of that and using my lived experience to be able to do what I do and to take a different approach because it's like how would I have have wanted those services or this is where those services lacked for me and being able to grow and see that differently. I think that's why, especially as a woman of color leading this organization, being one of the very few within the state of Wisconsin, let alone Tork County, right? That's the lens that I'm looking at everything through anti-oppression or mm. anti-violence is let's prevent what happened to me and the many people I serve. Like That's why it's so important to work on these preventative initiatives
1: mm.
2: and also working with those that harm, right? Because a lot of times people don't want to call police because they want help. And they see that like the first act of violence isn't someone committing violence. They learn that somewhere and they learn that violence themselves. So it's working with those that have harmed in a very transformative justice approach, working preventatively to try and stop that from even occurring. And then cleaning up the messes with that crisis intervention work. And I think that's why it's so important is because of my lived experience. And I think that's why I've been such an asset. You know, I sit on the Governor's Council of Domestic Abuse. I do a lot of statewide activism and advocacy surrounding this issue and and just, you know, anti-oppression in general. And that's the motivation is that. And then seeing that healing is possible and that it does turn into resiliency. And I think that's what's... You know, I, I was very candid about even my own marriage and then seeing how that has flourished. And it was because now we know better, we <laughs> could do better. And I think that that's what I'm most proud of is the legacy that I'm leaving with my children. Like they are a movement family, so they all work and they all hold the same kind of values very near and dear. But it's like, okay, now we're, we're having these young folks teach other young folks so they don't have to go through the same things that have been cyclical. And that's what inspires me, especially working with youth. Like, man, if you don't have a mentor that is younger than you, you're doing life wrong. You <laughs> need a mentor that is younger than you. You need a mentor that is older than you. You need one your same age. But you definitely need younger mentors because what they have to give to this world is is what's inspiring. And I think sometimes on those really hard days, it's recognizing that we are movement building and we are changing and that movements have a, a, a breath of life of their own. And I think that's what's been so inspiring is to see, you know, we do, we do services in the jail and to have someone and be like, hey, I met you in jail five <laughs> years ago and I own my own business. I left that unhealthy relationship and I am thriving. I am clean and I'm seeing how my trauma led to my AODA issues. And that's what I always tell people like, Domestic violence is that foundation, right? So, like, trauma, that's what leads to a lot of societal ills, like ODA issues and a lot of mental health issues and all of these things. So it's, like, getting to the root of the issues and those foundations Mm -hmm. and also the foundations that allow, you know, those roots of oppression I talked about earlier of racism, ableism, ageism, heteronormativity, all of these isms, when we free ourselves from that and we have a perspective of... That equity-based lens, I think that's the most important thing. And that's what allows me to do what I do.
1: Well, Millie, I think we're going to have to have you back sometime because there's so many other things we could talk about. So much more ground we can cover. and But we're already running long on this, one, this <laughs> podcast. But thanks so much for coming up here and being so open and honest about your own experiences, but also the things that you do in the, and what help of Door County does for our community.
2: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: And that's all for the Door County Pulse podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, really important conversation, really important topic today. And uh,
0: hope you come back and listen to the podcast again very soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.